Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Rugby League Digest. This is Andrew Paskin speaking. Uh, Sands Michael Adams. He's having a rest from all the research. I'm talking to legendary rugby league journalist Tony the Mole Adams. How are you, sir? Yeah, doing well, Andrew, and uh, missing our touch football games that you and I used to play, but uh, the things you do for COVID. Well, I was going to ask you about your touch career because you're a good player and you're about 65, are you? Oh, I'm 61, if you don't mind, but, uh, and strictly a ball player these days. And I think uh, COVID would have slowed me down even more. I've been trying to work out a little bit, and I snuck in a couple of games with mates. Uh, we uh, we had a couple of runs, and uh, no one died, so it was fun. Excellent. Well, that 65 was actually a shot at you. I thought you were about 50-odd, but that brings me to my next question. You're a teetotaler, is that correct? Yes, it's a, correct. Molly uh, loves a drink. My... Uh, Twitter persona, and uh, <laughs> some of his tweets may sound like he had a few, but uh, in real life, yes, I'm a teetotaler. Well, being that you're 61, you look a million bucks in health-wise compared to your colleagues Phil Buzz Rothfield and Dean Bulldog Richie. I mean, <laughs> is that a cigarettes and alcohol type disintegration of their looks? or? Uh, let's just say they uh, enjoy having a good time, but uh, <laughs> particularly when they were younger, I think they've quietened down a bit now, but I do... Uh, Call Buzz my grandfather occasionally <laughs> just to G him up. Uh, it's an honour for us to have you on the podcast because uh, both Michael, my co-host and the historian of the podcast, and I are, are Rugby League Week Bible followers, uh, Jehovah's Witness-esque. Uh, you spent 20 years or so in the trenches at Rugby League Week. Yeah, I did. And uh, it's a sad state of affairs when uh, the Bible, our Rugby League Bible, is no longer with us, but the, uh, there's no stopping the Jehovah's Witnesses. Is there? <laughs> they, they just keep going. Poor old Rugby League Week uh, went the way of the dinosaur, what, what is it now, three, four years ago. Yeah, it feels like yesterday too. I, I noticed the big league went as well recently. I mean, it's the end of an era when, when those two mastheads have gone. Yeah, it is. And I mean, magazines around the world are dying, but it's, it's hard to believe that, uh, you know, in Australia we can't have even one uh, rugby league magazine. I guess big league sold a lot of, at the grounds with the players' numbers. So, uh, you know, once the cardboard cutouts stopped buying the magazine, that was <laughs> the end of it. So uh, I'd like to think, uh, hopefully, for the sake of all the guys who work there, that maybe when we get crowds back, well, probably not this year, but next year, the NRL will, will have a program. Because I think it's embarrassing, frankly, to have a, a code and, and turn up at games and uh, not have a program. So, uh, so um. Being a leading journal, you've done a few books as well. I know you had the, the sports and uh, rugby league trivia books a while back. Yeah, that's right. And uh, last year I did Todd Carney's book, which was a, an experience. I went up to Byron and spent a week with Todd. And, you know, I can honestly say he's a, he's a changed man. A lot of the things he did, he was young and stupid. He's now 
32 years old. He's captain coach of Byron Bay, which uh, at the moment they're not playing because of COVID. But, uh, you know, he's become quite a uh, role model up there. Uh, you know, he's kept himself out of trouble the last few years. Uh, plenty of people, uh, when I mention him on social media, clearly uh, don't forget the bubbler keeps getting a mention. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess that's just the way keyboard warriors are. And none of them would have ever met the man. And, you know, I can tell you, He's a genuinely nice fella. He's got time for anyone. He, he spends a lot of time with kids. He does junior coaching and, and development. And uh, I think anyone who read the book, it was a pretty interesting read because he, he was very honest. He put his hand up and whereas most of these entitled players these days, uh, you know, want to blame someone else or society for their problems, he blames himself and uh, the demon drink. Well, I mean, I've got sympathy for the guy because I'm also a dickhead on the piss, so I really have sympathy for him. But both Michael and I love Todd Carney as a player and as a hilarious um, rugby league character. But he he made our um, our Grub 17, the all-time Grub 17, which we did with Coogee comedian and malcontent Luke Heggie. Yeah, I think I saw that, Seven. It was a very impressive lineup, but I've... I've got to say, after talking Todd up, he does deserve a place there, just <laughs> well, uh, just for his rap sheet over the years, for sure. Yeah, I'm not worried about the bubbler. That can happen to anybody. But the, the setting the pants on fire of the bloke in Cairns, that was my favourite. Yeah, well, that was, uh, I mean, who hasn't set someone's pants on fire occasionally? <laughs> Uh, I mean, still for me, Julian O'Neill is the gold standard, but like the book Hard Truth, honestly, it's um, all jokes aside, it's a touching story and uh, he was a great, great player and um, I wish Canberra still had him. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, at 32, he, his days of NRL are over, sadly, but, you know, in bush footy, he can still uh, create a bit of damage. He lifted them up the ladder last year. Uh, hopefully this year they'll get uh, underway soon. He's training hard on the Gold Coast and Probably his, his body, you know, his hammies, uh, his calves, uh, you know, I know myself from touch, so would you. They're pretty shot, but, you know, in, in a way, having a break and not doing any damage for six months might do him some good and might actually uh, extend his career a little bit. Is he definitely done with top flight footy at 32? I mean, Cameron Smith's 37 for Christ's sakes. Yeah, I think basically uh, he's in that situation where the NRL, uh, you know, his name is mud among clubs, sadly. And, uh, you know, they don't forget and they probably wouldn't take a risk with him. And uh, his trademark was always his speed, wasn't it? He had this blinding speed. And uh, once you get the niggling little injuries, you know, that speed goes and you, you lose that edge. Whereas, uh, you know, you mentioned Cameron Smith. He's quick between the ears and you don't lose yeah. that. So, you know, Cam could probably go on another two, three years without any trouble at all. It's interesting, like you've been around football, what, 40 years now, longer. Yeah. Uh, when you saw him come through, Toddy, you know, he, he looked like a footballer from day one, 18 years old. I mean, was he in that special class of, you know, Lockyer and, and those sort of guys when you saw him young? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would say that the best young talent I ever saw was Greg Alexander. He was just freakish, uh, you know, in, in the mid-80s, coming through at Penrith, uh, straight out of school. He was 18. Uh, in his second year, he got the Panthers to the uh, finals for the first time ever. And back then, of course, we only had four or five teams in the finals. So it wasn't, uh, you know, every kid gets a prize sort of thing. But, mm. uh, you know, he could just take a game by the scruff of the neck uh, the way, you know, no one has since. Uh, Caelan Ponga, at the moment, I think he comes pretty close, you know, for again, for a, a young player, just so much maturity, that blinding speed and the vision, uh, you know, and I think he'll become a superstar of the game. And 
And I say that a bit on Twitter, and there's plenty of people out there, again, it's the keyboard warriors, that there seem to be some movement against Caelan Pongala. Plenty of them uh, don't think he's that good, but, uh, you know, to me, if he's not a superstar already, he certainly will be in the near future. You would have to be blind, Freddie, not to see that he was a future superstar. I mean, Twitter's just the most hateful place on earth, and you're actually one of the forerunners of rugby league Twitter. You've got one of the biggest followings, and you're one of the earliest to adopt. Um, I mean, you started it with typewriters, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, with a, a chisel and a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, journalism's changed so, so much, and... I've, yeah, I've really admired the way you've adapted. Like you're always reinventing yourself, different personas. Well, basically, you, you have to in this game. The way, uh, as you say, journalism has changed so much. I mean, I could see, uh, you know, as we said, magazines around the world dying one by one. You know, I, I started work uh, on the old Daily Mirror in the mid-'80s. Uh, wow. Some of the older uh, listeners might remember that. You know, we used to have two afternoon papers in Sydney. Uh, now we've barely got two morning papers, you know, so... The world is just changing so much, and all of a sudden, this you know this new medium came along, Twitter, and I thought I could do something here. And uh, slowly, slowly, I've built my following, and I found if you engage the punters, you know, even the haters, they really uh, get a kick out of it. And I think that's a big reason uh, why I got my job at Channel Nine, Wide World of Sports, where I am at the moment. I'm I'm under no illusion. They they don't really want Tony Adams. They want the mole. But does it come down to your quality of mail as well? I mean, it's not just the, the personable interactions. I mean, I've been reading you since I was a boy. And between you and Buzz, I mean, Buzz is funny for the personal slights that he'll deliver incognito. <laughs> but um, but your mail's always top notch. And it's so fascinating to me to be the weekly. You've got to come up, what, six pieces a week minimum? Ten pieces a week? Yeah, there's no set number. But, uh, yeah, I try basically posting something every day um, but at the same time I don't want to post something just for the sake of it and they're very good with me uh, Channel 9 you know if I've got a story they'll whack it up if, if I go a day or two without a story they don't come yelling and screaming which is often the way uh, things used to be on uh, newspapers you know because basically there was a hole in the newspaper and you had to fill it one way or another uh, even if, if all you had was rubbish so Again, it's different mediums, and uh, yeah, your mail's got to be good. I mean, you, you get found out very quickly, and and I'll be the first to admit I've got some things wrong. But what people have to understand, you know, things change in rugby league, particularly these days. A player might agree to play with Penrith one day, and the next day you wake up and decide, no, I think I'll go and play with Parramatta. So you know, technically, <laughs> sometimes your mail can be right, but it ends up being wrong, if you know what I'm saying. There's more backflips in rugby league than the gymnastics world champs. It's crazy. Yeah, that's right. Like uh, just the other week, I broke a story about Toby Rudolph going from uh, Cronulla to the Warriors and no one denied it, which is always a good sign. But then I got wind uh, a few days later that Toby Rudolph now wants to stay at Cronulla. And so I put that up. And uh, But I think people are starting to understand how it works, you know. Players are pretty flighty these days and your word uh, used to be your... Uh, your bond or whatever, but doesn't seem to be the case all that often anymore. No, it doesn't. So, like a day in the life of a rugby league journal, like how many contacts per club have you got roughly? Like how many phone calls are you making a day, or people calling you? Like how does it work in a day in the life of a rugby league journal? Well, again, all, all that's changed. Like when I was on the old Daily Mirror, we would be in the office at six, we'd read the morning papers, uh, and from about seven, we'd be starting to call chief executives. 
on their home phones. Now, uh, <laughs> if I tried that these days, uh, I would expect a very quick clunk on the other end of the line if they even had a home phone. So, you know, things have really changed. These days I get up, uh, I surf the net, uh, you know, I subscribe to both the Herald and the Telegraph, so I read all their stuff and uh, sort of go from there and, uh, you know, either look for a follow-up angle or talk to contacts. But again, now a lot of the talking to contacts is on uh, Facebook Messenger, is on uh, texting. So, you know, uh, there might be a day where I don't actually make a phone call, but I've sent a lot of uh, text messages, a lot of uh, Facebook messages, and uh, hopefully get replies. So, uh, yeah, again, uh, very different world. It's just fascinating to me as an outsider because you kind of look at rugby league like sort of these tough men, these sort of stand-up guys, but there's so much gossip in rugby league. <laughs> like uh, It's almost like you know the underworld. Everyone acts like they're the tough guy, but everyone's always ratting everybody else out sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange world, and it's a bit of a precarious one because, you know, we've seen players suffering mental health issues and, uh, you know, that, that can be tricky. And you, you criticise a player who's fragile and, uh, you know, they can go to pieces. And, you know, you've got to be very careful and you've, you've got to try being balanced. And, uh, you know, it's again, we keep saying it's, it's a different world we live in. But if you say a player dropped the ball or did something wrong, you know, but people will say, you know, what about this guy's mental health? So, uh, and in a way, they've got a point. So it can be a very difficult situation, writing stories, and a fine line we walk. Uh, and we really do have to be careful, um, you know, that we don't uh, offend these guys. And, you know, but at the same time, they're public figures, they're superstars. You know, in a way, it sort of goes with the territory. And with mobile phone technology these days, you know, that's where players get in strike, as we've seen time and again. Uh, you know, players send the inappropriate photos, inappropriate texts, the public gets hold of it. Uh, and next thing you know, the media gets hold of it. And it's uh, like wildfire. Uh, I remember talking to Johnny Raper, the great chook, probably the greatest player of all time. And uh, he said to me a few years ago, he said, if we had mobile phones in my day, uh, I would have been in jail. You know, he, was, <laughs> he was very upfront about it. So uh, it's a lot tougher for the modern day players. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Um, now your playing career, like, uh, you made it to a quite a high level playing, didn't you? No, not really. I wouldn't say that. I, you know, I played back up at the university cup and, uh, I was a, a halfback hooker and, uh, the first grade hooker was Neil Whitaker, who, uh, went on right. to be, uh, boss of the, uh, Australian Rugby League and Super League and a very good first grade hooker for Balmain. So, uh, wow. that's about as far as I got, but you know, I was 18, 19 and, Basically, at that age, I, I had to decide, was I going to be a player or a journalist? And uh, I could see I had a much more of a future as a journalist, and it was safer back in those days. But these days, I'm not so sure. It's a, <laughs> quite, quite a uh, difficult slog being a journalist in these days. We have to have tough hides too, all the uh, criticism we got on social media as well. Have you thought about going on to the, the TV like Buzz and Paul Kent you know, um, get on it, Crawley, you know, you get on there and, and mouth off on the telly. <laughs> well, some people say I've got a, a good head for radio, but also they work for, you know, the Telegraph Fox set up, you know, they, they're uh, all the one company. Uh, I work for nine. And uh, you got Gus's show, the 100% footy thing. Yeah, I might ask Gus for a start there. I've, I've done a bit of stuff on uh, 2GB with Mark Levy recently. Again, we, we're all one big happy family, nine. 
2GB in the Herald, which is, again, something new uh, in the game. So, uh, you know, maybe some opportunities will open. Who knows? Yeah, if you're worrying about um, quality of head, I mean, have a look at the Foxtel show. <laughs> no good. But um, speaking of Super League, now our whole podcast revolves around this and it's just the most fascinating time. Do you remember when that broke? Like the big joke in our podcast is the first I heard of it was April Fool's, like Bozo and all these guys. Do you remember when you first heard of Super League? Uh, it's all a bit of a blur, to be honest, but I know it was around April Fool's Day and uh... – yeah, I mean, it was a well-orchestrated rave, wasn't it? And I remember uh, my first reaction was, hey, this is my company who I was working for, News Limited, doing all this, and they didn't tell me about it. <laughs> they left me out in the cold, probably the biggest story at that time in rugby league history. So, uh, yeah, I felt very much left out. But, you know, it was a fascinating time. And it, but it was a very hard time because, you know, the lifelong friendships were broken. Um, we were accused of, you know, supporting rebels. I, I sort of tried to walk the line, you know, down the middle, supporting both the ARL and Super League, which, you know, was very hard to do, I've got to be honest. And we copped a lot of flack. And I guess I'm just glad there wasn't any social media back then because it, it would have been absolutely yeah. savage. I mean, I think the game would have imploded with social media back then. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, I got death threats and, you know, but that was the old-fashioned way over the phone. <laughs> you know, nothing on the internet, thankfully, because it hadn't been invented. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I mean... The fact that it's a game of football and people take it that serious is beyond belief, but to be threatening someone's life. But do you have any fond memories of Arco and, and John Quayle? Yeah, I mean, both lovely old world gentlemen. And I, I bumped into John Quayle a year or two ago. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. And, you know, we greeted each other like uh, long lost brothers. And I see Arco on the television on the Gold Coast and he's found the family view for Arco. He, he has aged in 30 years, you know. <laughs> it just looks the same. Uh, He's been in in the uh, tanning bed and just looks sensational uh, for a guy in his he'd have to be in his late eighties and still very sharp. You listen to him talking, still a mad manly man, of course. But he was one of those guys I'd be ringing up at seven o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, back in the eighties, and here he's still going strong, uh, you know, forty years old later. And I thought he was an old man back then. Perhaps there's a um, a fountain of youth elixir in Rothman's products that he's... <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Well, he, uh, he, he would have smoked plenty of free Rothman's back then. And, uh, yeah, I'm just glad I never uh, never took the bait uh, back then because, yeah, they used to deliver cigarettes to the office in uh, brown paper bags, I remember. Hilarious. Yeah. We recently lost the great Noel Kelly... Um, he interviewed with us a few years back as an absolute legend. Do you have any interactions with uh, Ned? Yeah, one, one of the books I wrote, the first book I wrote actually it was called Hitman and it had hard men of the game right from the uh, the, the Ray Steers uh, up to the, the Mark guys and Paul Harrigans. And, of course, you couldn't write a book about hard men without 
Noel Kelly. And I, I had a read of the chapter uh, I wrote on Noel uh, the day he died. And just, I actually um, put up a few hundred words from that as a tribute to Ned. And I sat down with him. He lives on the northern beaches, actually, which is where I'm uh, residing at the moment. And uh, was a butcher for many years. And just a lovely man, but yet definitely suffered white line fever. I think one of my intro to the book was he uh, he had 17 broken noses and 17 send-offs. So uh, he caught plenty, but he gave plenty back. I think when we spoke to him three years ago, he was talking about some altercation he had on the golf course with someone that was being rude, you know, like he was, he was still intimidating in his late, late 70s. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I still wouldn't cross him, uh, you know, right until his final days. A very tough man, but uh, hard but fair, I think is the best way to put it. Um, you've got an interesting insight to the U.S. Given in, in recent years, you're spending half the year in Atlanta, GA, working from um, over there, which is crazy. But what's your views on that mad asylum of a joint? Yeah. Uh, I think I sum up most Australians when I say we used to laugh at America. I think at the moment we actually feel sorry for them. I mean, you put Trump together with COVID, together with the gun problem that just won't go away, that they can't, you know, seem to grasp that. The more guns you get, the more people die. And I tried to explain that to people when I was living there, and they looked at me like I was an idiot. You know, they <laughs> said, "No, no, we we need guns so we can shoot the bad guys." You know, it, it's almost going back, particularly where I was down south, back to the days of the wild, wild west. You know, you'd you'd walk into a restaurant, and the guy sitting at the table next to you would have a handgun attached to his jeans. You know, <laughs> and they think it's normal. Yeah, yeah, they do, and and I'd stare at it and. They'd say, what's wrong? I'd say, have a look at that guy. And they'd just shrug their shoulders and say, well, he's just protecting himself. But uh, Yeah, if I go to America again, I'm going to have to go when I'm sober because any toddy behavior from me is going to get met with a swift uh, slug in the guts, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, we just got to look at Matt Lodger now. He went berserk over there. They certainly, you know, sorted him out. They threw him straight in the cell. And <laughs> I think it was only the fact that he had some connections with the police force through his parents that he was able to, get out of there and get back home and uh, you know he seems to have turned the corner and uh, again uh, plenty of people won't forgive or forget but uh, you know he's made something of his life and I guess we got to uh, you know pay credit to him for that. It's a game of second chances third chances even and the rugby league digest Michael and I we have the utmost sympathy for the NRL dealing with this on a daily basis. (laughs) Yeah well you'd hate to work for the integrity you know going in the work every day and thinking, geez, what disaster am I going to be faced with today? Well, I mean, um, David Gallup, when he started the job, he looked like Robert Redford. And when he finished, he looked like Mickey Rooney. It was like... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so like the Super League contracts, it was called the lolly shop uh, on one of our episodes when people go into Phillip Street and just, you know, tripling their money and everything like that. Do you remember the frenzy for the dough back then? Yeah, that's right. And the joke of it is, was some of them were pretty ordinary players. The classic one was Steve Edmund, who was, you know, a good, honest battler, but really just a plotter for uh, Balmain. And I don't know why, but he became a target for both, and both the uh, Super League and the ARL <laughs> decided they had to have him, uh, the classic case that they always talk about. I mean, there's a lot of damage done. The 96 season was a write-off, and um, and then 97, you know, everyone remembers that. The most questions we get from anybody on Twitter, uh, ex-players, listeners, anybody, is the World Club Challenge. They just want us to talk about the World Club Challenge all the time. Uh, 
Mm. I remember looking at that as, as a teenager going, this is going to be so cool. I mean, watching the Kangaroo Tour games and how cool is this? The English clubs are coming. Did you see that happening beforehand, like the outright thrashings? Uh, I had a sneaky suspicion. I, I actually uh very fond memories of the World Club Challenge because I was the only Aussie journalist and it's one of my greatest uh, rorts that I managed to pull. Uh, the only Aussie journal who went to England to cover the first lot of matches, uh, the World Club Challenge. I was sitting in press boxes with 20 English journalists and I was the lone Aussie and I almost felt embarrassed. I felt sorry for them because, you know, the average score would have been 40 to nil, 40 to four, maybe the odd 50, the odd 60. And, you know, uh, at first I was sort of half cheering for the Aussies. Then I was hoping they'd go easy on them. Uh, I went over there with Penrith, the Warriors, Cronulla and... The Western Reds, uh, yeah. remember the Western Reds, and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, they they all just you know absolutely cleaned up these poor English clubs, and they were in these grim English towns, you know St Helens, Bradford, and uh, you know the fans there they love their rugby league, and they were beautiful people, but uh, again I felt sorry for them, you know they treated their players as heroes, but uh, they got cut down the earth very quickly by these superstar Australian sides, and. Uh, you know, they, they were just awesome to watch the uh, the Panthers, the Sharks, etc. cetera. Uh, but uh, at the same time, it, it was, as I said, just a little bit embarrassing. Well, speaking of superstar sides, I was a regular at the Hunter Mariners games at um, the old Austral Stadium, also known as Topper Stadium, if you remember that uh, sponsorship deal. Yeah. Do you remember the Mariners um, Mariners home ground? Yeah, yeah. Rings, rings a bell. I never went there, thank goodness, where uh, <laughs> Barry Tui, who's, who's still a uh, journo, he's been here almost as long as I have, and he was covering the Knights and the Mariners, so he saved me plenty of miles. <laughs> he's a great guy, Barry Tui. Um, he is. Do you have any recollections of Gary Harley, the man who ate Maitland? <laughs> yeah, he's a big man, Gary, and yeah, but uh, much loved up there, much respected. But I think he's a dog man, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he's beloved in the Hunter Valley. Yeah, he's into the dish lickers, and uh, oh, I think I still follow his tips. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, um, I'm mindful of your time, so I'll wrap it up there. Uh, remember, listeners, to get the hard truth, the Todd Carney story, co-written by Toddy and Tony Adams. Uh, great read. And um, the guy's got a heart of gold and uh, the rugby league digest will always stand by Toddy. Great player, great guy. Any closing thoughts there, Tony? Yes, uh, make sure all your listeners follow Moly at nine underscore Moly on uh, Twitter. I'm always looking to, to build my following. Uh, I believe in strength in numbers. So, uh, yeah, jump on board. Uh, I can promise. A few scoops, a few laughs, a few things you won't uh, always uh, agree with, but uh, at nine underscore moly, get in there. Wonderful. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. Been a pleasure, Andrew.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.